Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, today we get to close our sermon series, Smaller, Slower, Lesser, Lower. You have been invited through the course of these six weeks into upstream life. So this is the last week, if you'd like to say goodbye, to uh, this fish nailed to the stage. It's going away, and I'll be sad that it goes away. Maybe we'll keep it. I will start hiding it around the church. You can find it and see if uh, that doesn't give you a little uh, remembrance of what we're supposed to be about. We've been talking about the smaller, slower, lesser, lower life. You've been invited to consider steelhead trout and aprons, shake weights and spotlights. Today, I'm going to invite you to do something uh, different, something brave, actually. Today, uh, the challenge will not be to remember some clever illustration, but to rise and respond to the life that we've been called to. This series has been pretty hard on mainstream culture. Not specifically the culture around us, but the mainstream set adrift sort of life that isn't rooted in anything larger than desires and preferences. We've been kind of hard on consumerism and on empty religion, and so what we want to do is kind of join Jesus in that thought line and pick up where we left off. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Scripture says, next Jesus unleashed on the cities, he unleashed, where he had worked the hardest but those people who responded the least, shrugging their shoulders and going their own way. Doom to you, Chorazin, he said. Doom, Bethsaida. If Tyre and Sidon had seen half the powerful miracles you'd seen, they'd have been on their knees in a minute. At judgment day, they'll get off easy compared to you. In Capernaum, with all your peacock strutting, you're going to end up in the abyss. If the people of Sodom had your chances, the city would still be around. And at judgment day, they'll get off easy compared to you. We start with this passage, and Jesus is naming places that he loves. Full of people he knows. These are the places in our modern world where they'd have the biggest, most successful churches around. Jesus is basically saying that you've heard the upstream story. You've actually heard from the upstream Savior, and yet you've still chosen the mainstream way, and this is what the result of that is. He goes on. Verse 25, it says, Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. This is an amazing piece of Scripture that gives us a peek behind the curtain into the heart of Jesus. As he's warning those who have ignored his message, he then sort of retreats into a moment with his Father. And what does he say? Speaking to the Lord, he says, ordinary people are going to get me. Isn't it true that the ordinary understand me and and the too smart crowd ignores me? Because they know better. They're sure of it. And the too holy crowd dismisses me because they're sure they know righteousness and it can't be from this dusty, homeless street preacher. So Jesus is praying and, and what we hear is that the meek will understand him, the vulnerable will get him, the plain will be his people, the needy will be those who draw near. 
they're going to get it. They get him. And it's that upside down, upstream thing at work that we start to see that the world of bigger and faster and better and higher of sophisticated and worldly, they're going to miss it. And Jesus says it's the smaller and the slower and the lesser and the lower. It's the ordinary and the earthy. It's the people who slow down long enough to hear me that are going to get it. Verse 27, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. He had just said doom to these cities. He prays and it says now he returns to the people, but tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation, coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Jesus' prayer quiets, and he looks at his friends and his followers. He, He calls them in close, maybe even with a hush. He says, no one... No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son reveals him. Jesus says, I'm ready to go over capital T, truth. I'm ready to go over eternity and salvation. I'm ready to go over it with anyone willing to listen. I'll do it line by line. I'll give you the totality of the secret. Can you imagine being one of these people following Jesus in this moment? as he calls you in close, and he says, I will tell you sort of the secret of the universe. I'll give you the meaning of life. I'll tell you the answer to your biggest question that you didn't even know to ask yet. I have to imagine that their eyes light up a little bit. This is the one they really are believing is the Messiah. They're following Jesus, the rabbi, and yet there are doubts in the group, and there are whispers and cynicism and skepticisms, and yet they're following As his ministry gets more bold and more triumphant, as as he does more miracles, they're following. So their pulses quicken when he says, I'll go over it line by line. He's going to tell us what it takes to enter into the kingdom. Verse 28, Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Before he gives them the big answer, before he lays out line by line what it is to enter into the kingdom, He acknowledges where they all are. And this is when you and I lean in and we go, what is the answer? What's that thing I need? And he acknowledges where we all are. He acknowledges what chasing religion and righteousness and what bigger and faster and more sophisticated life gets us. He looks at him and says, are are you you tired? You imagine that a few of them groan under their breath. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty tired. He says, are are you worn out? If you only knew, someone mutters and the others chuckle nervously. Are you burned out on religion? And a few look around seeing if there are Pharisees listening in. 
And Jesus says, well, here is what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here is the answer you've been waiting for. And this is huge. So we pause here and we go, he is giving them the secret. He promised line by line what is required to enter the eternal kingdom of God. And you wonder what things they must be thinking through. He's about to say, he's about to give it to us. Is there some sort of work? Is there some sort of list of things we need to do? Is there a financial giving strategy that he's going to, if we all pool our resources and give this much, maybe that qualifies us? Is there a miracle that we're required to perform? Is that, is that what it is? We have, to, we have to do miracles like he does miracles? Is it scripture memory? Do I have to know enough and have memorized enough? Is there like some threshold where if I know enough, then, then I can be in the kingdom, Jesus? And then he gives them the answer says rest. Rest is the answer. Rest is the secret. Rest is the way he's prescribed. Rest is the gate to the kingdom. Rest is the way to eternity. Rest. Get away with me. Recover your life. I will show you real rest. Jesus is saying all the striving and the chasing can stop. I see you exhausted. I see you in the rat race of consumption. I see you in the rat race of religion. I see that they are grinding you down, and Jesus says, I am here to lift you up. So many of you were in the rat race of one thing, and you gave it up, and then you jumped into the rat race of the other. You went from one rut on the side of the road to the other. Don't exchange consumptive treadmill for religious treadmill the to-do list of the works, I have to do enough good things to get into heaven, and we finally exchange that, and we end up in the other rut, which is I have to do enough good things to get into heaven. I have to do enough things. I have to, I missed my devotional last week on Tuesday. Do you know the state of my soul? Do I have a problem? Can we talk about this? I'm in a dry season. Jesus goes, that's okay. That's why they call them seasons. You rest because your salvation is not based in you, it's based in me. Jesus is telling them this is the way of the kingdom. Your salvation is not based in you, it's based in me. Your hope is not based in you, it's in me. It's, it, your future is not relying on you, it's relying on me. And Jesus is giving them this whole giant new paradigm and the word is simply rest. He recognizes heaving lungs and unsatisfied souls. And you can see him there. Maybe it's by an evening fireside or it's in the morning as the sun comes up over the mountain ridge. You can see Jesus leaning with that glint of compassion in his eyes. He's got, that, he's got that knowable smirk of going, you didn't see this coming, did you? You guys thought it was going to be more complicated, didn't you? Jesus is giving them the antidote to the poison of the world. And it's walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is offering an apprenticeship. He's offering an apprenticeship. I don't know if you've ever done an apprenticeship. I did an apprenticeship. I didn't know it was that when I signed up for it. I agreed to be a missionary. I had met Jesus, had given my life to Jesus at 16 years old through a Young Life camp. 
and it was 100% legitimate and 100% authentic and 100% real, and yet I didn't know what it meant to walk with him. I'd come out of heavy religion and a works-based culture into this Jesus relationship, and so I become a follower of Christ, and for seven years, I didn't know any better. I just thought, I guess this means I work harder, but Jesus is with me, and it was death. I felt no freedom. I felt no release. I felt no sense of a kingdom or a salvation. I just felt more weight because I had jumped into the rat race of religion, and so I'd spend my weeks trying to be good enough to justify what Jesus had apparently done for me, and when I couldn't do it, I would blow off the steam Friday and Saturday night in the guilt and the shame of who I was only to show up at church on Sunday morning and hope that maybe I could start that again, and maybe this week I'll get it right if I just white knuckle and try it harder. And then God nudges me to go be a missionary in some place I've never been with a person I've never met. And I thought, I don't know, maybe this is the work I need to do. Maybe this earns me the salvation I've been given. And it wasn't that at all. It ended up being an apprenticeship where Pastor Willie invites me into his study and in this inner city church in the middle of Johannesburg and 10 million people scurrying around this major city, he says, it's time to slow down. Walk with me, work with me, see how I do it. And so people would come in for counseling, and, and he had an office that's about the size of this carpet, and he would put me at one edge, and he'd say, you can sit there during this. And I'm like, but they're here to see you. And he goes, I'll tell them. And he would introduce me and say, hey, he's going to sit over there and just watch. He's my missionary. I got him. Is that okay with you? And people would say, yeah. And then they would lay out their entire lives, and I would watch the way he was compassionate. I would watch the advice he gave or the way he wouldn't say a word. And then the next person would come in and someone had died and he had to do a funeral and I would watch the way he counseled and the way that he corralled them and the way that he spoke to family who knew Jesus and those that didn't. And then we would, we would be exhausted and be a lot and he'd say, are you hungry? And I'd say, yes. And, and the apprentice and the master, he would say, why don't we go get a coffee? Which meant, why don't I go treat you to a real meal? And then we would eat. And I'd watch the way he ate. And I'd watch the way that he talked to a waiter and I'd watch that he would linger at the end of the meal. And I'd always be excited because when he lingered, it meant cappuccinos were coming. So I learned that cappuccinos are the sign of a great minister. But over the course of two different years, it was just an apprenticeship. Where I watched the way he worked, and I watched the way he lived, and I watched the way he moved about the bakery, and the bank, and the funeral parlor, and the church square. I watched. And I would tell you with zero doubt in my soul that my multiple years in seminary and my multiple years in South Africa, that South Africa was a thousand times more valuable. That all of the learning and the knowledge and the tests and the memorization, those things were good and God is using them. I'm grateful. But it's nothing compared to the apprenticeship I was offered. Jesus is inviting us into an apprenticeship of faith. And he's not saying, I need you to do certain things. He's saying, sometimes you just need to sit in the room with me. Just watch the way I do it. Just look at my words. See the way I relate to people. See how I treat the broken. See how I deal with those who are far. See how I warn those who are a little too close. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly, he says. This is an invitation to apprentice with the king of the universe. And so the path out of world weariness and burned out religiosity is a path into Jesus' unforced rhythms of grace. 
path out of exhaustion and cynicism. Jesus says, come rest easy with me. And this is somewhat jarring if you've been with us for the fullness of this series. We started it with Jesus telling his followers, the world will hate you. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be persecution. It's going to be trials. It's going to be trouble. And how can that be simultaneous to this, which is if you come with me, you'll live freely and lightly. Persecution and hate and freely and lightly don't seem to go together. How can that be? How can the upstream life, this clawing forward against the mainstream currents of the world, also be the unforced rhythms of grace? Those two things don't go together. Jesus says they do. We started this series in a river. It's where we talked about steelhead trout and the upstream journey we've been invited into. We started in a river, and I think it's only appropriate the the steelhead, what makes it the steelhead and not a rainbow trout is it swims out to the ocean, only to return years later to reproduce. But it swims out of its natural habitat. It swims out into the ocean. So let's go out to the ocean. The currents in the ocean are strong. They're far beyond anything you can find in the river. The waves crash, the wind is fierce, and there are three types of ways to travel the ocean. The first one is a lifeboat. You can travel the ocean in a lifeboat. This is actually the most common life that anyone leads. If you look around the culture that we are in, and 99% of people you see are navigating life in a lifeboat. It's disengaged. It's powered by the currents of culture and trends. It goes wherever the world takes you. And so if you hit a current, you just go with it. And if it switches, okay, I'll go that way too. It's a life drifting and checked out. It's a life of empty defeat. It's a hopeless life because not only do you have no control, but you're at the whims of the world, which doesn't seem to have a plan. The second way to go through life is in a rowboat. Rowboat's pretty difficult in the ocean. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've tried to kayak in the ocean before, and the ocean has this way of spitting you back out. This is what religion looks like. If the lifeboat is what the common person does, just drifting on the current, the rowboat is what religion looks like. It's the lifeboat, but just with your white-knuckled strength behind it. It's grit over grace kind of lifestyle. It's a works-based, if I just try a little harder at this faith thing, maybe I'll make my way upstream. It's powered by paddles of self-righteousness. And though the current is strong, you're going to try harder and will yourself to safety. This is a life of striving of a different sort. Instead of striving to fit in with the current, it's striving to go against the current, but it's all based in effort and exhausted defeat. This is a life, instead of leading to hopelessness, this one leads to resentment because even though I wielded the oars of religion, I checked the boxes I gave, I went on the mission trip, I did all the things you said to do, and still I'm no further up the river. I'm still stuck in the ocean current, drifting. I can't even make progress. And so we find resentment. Third and final way to make it through the world is in a sailboat. You have a lifeboat of drifting. You have a rowboat of religious effort, and then you have the sailboat. This is life in Jesus. This is resting and trusting in Him, powered by the Holy Spirit. Because the current is strong, but it's no match for the thrill when the wind catches the sail. The only way to go against the current in any body of water, you have to have some force greater than your own propelling you. 
This is what Jesus means when he says you're able to go upstream freely and lightly. You're able to go against the current that's going to hate you, and you're, able, you're going to be able to do it freely and lightly. These are the unforced rhythms of grace. How can you live freely and lightly upstream? How can you go against the current and still thrive? How can you be hated and persecuted and canceled and still have joy and hope? Because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. Because the same Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead is in you. It blows through you. It breathes in you. It is your power source. And as you've heard me say probably a hundred times that the same word in Scripture for wind is the word for Spirit. The Ruach is blowing through you. The wind and the Spirit, they are one and the same. If you're going to make your way through an upstream life, if you're going to make your way against the mainstream current, you cannot do it in your own power. You can't drift and hope it lands in the right spot. You can't take the oars and power your way through it. You have to rely on the thing that can actually get you there. And the Spirit of God will propel you through that in a way that is almost effortless. As you cut through the waves, Spirit wind that propels you forward is stronger than the world's current working against you and the enemy's waves trying to sink you. First John, the scripture says, the spirit in you is greater than the spirit in the world. The burden of life in the world is exchanged for the blessing of life in Jesus. You were designed for this. You were chosen for this. Jesus is making an invitation to integration, to be fully one with the way of your design. Be who you were made to be. Lean into your creator. Feel the wholeness and fullness in him. Embrace the power of the living God. Embrace the spirit that carries you into the teeth of the storm. This is what you've been invited into. This is the upstream life, but the way it's unforced is that there's a power greater than us driving it. So yeah, the path looks difficult at times, and no, the world will never approve of it. But the burden is actually a blessing and the Savior is there with you. And listen. He says there are unforced rhythms of grace and I think there's maybe two meanings there. Or at least there are for our culture. One is that he's implying that you don't have to do anything. That you leaning into him and your faith in him is enough and he carries you through. That he is the power that gets us through. That he is the way the truth and the life, that's true. That's the unforced part. But there's this other part for us that it's unforced. You can walk away. You can choose to lower the sail and get out the oars and fight your way through life again. You can choose to put the oars away and just drift because I'm sick of it and it's hard. Go back to drifting, back to rowing. What we know to be true is it's sort of irresistible that once you've felt the wind and the sail, it's kind of hard to go back. If you're really chosen, if you really believe that, that you've been chosen, the question Jesus is asking as he says it's an unforced rhythm of grace, if you'll just enter in, if you'll just lean in, if you'll just come rest with me, the question he's asking is will you lean in, will you choose what you were chosen for? If you're really called into this upstream life, if you're really called to follow the Savior, Jesus is asking, will you embrace the calling of your days? There's nothing standing in your way. You've been created and chosen and called to something better. 
something better than the life drifting with the hopeless mainstream, than the life of exhaustion rowing with the resentful religious. The call upon your life is better. It's smaller, and it's slower, and it's lesser, and lower, and there's not glory behind it for you, and it's so much better. It starts with Jesus' perfect life on the cross, his sacrificial death. His perfect life leads to his death on the cross. He's buried and he takes our sins to the tomb. He gets lower. The veil is torn. The division between God and man is undone. Jesus is the bridge between us and our creator. On the third day, the stone is rolled away and by his spirit power, Jesus is risen and we celebrate that. That life conquered death and he calls you into that life. We have to remember that. We celebrate it on Easter, but we have to remember every day that life conquered death. The stone was rolled away, that he is risen, and he's asked you to rise. He calls you to rise to something greater. He calls you to overcome the temptation to just drift, to rise above the temptation to row, to rise to something greater. He calls you to rise to bravery and to hope, to rise to the upstream life. Because it's what you were created for. That Jesus invites you into the beauty of your design. Jesus is inviting you today to rise on earth, smaller, slower, and lesser, and lower, upstream and unforced, on earth as is in heaven. And his promise is by his spirit there is nothing standing in your way. So as Greg sings, maybe this becomes our prayer. I'm coming. 
Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.